Hello and welcome back to the Team Defence Information Podcast. My name is Luca Leone and in today's episode I am talking to Nigel Whitehead. Nigel is the Chief Technology Officer for BA Systems, Co-Chair of the Defence Suppliers Forum Executive Group and also the Team Defence Chairman. Alongside these roles he is a Chartered Engineer, a Fellow of the Royal Aeronautical Society, a Fellow of the Academy of Engineering and in 2015 was awarded the CBE in the Queen's Birthday Honours. Okay, good morning Nigel. Uh, good to see you. Um, so we uh, we're here to talk about a few things today. Um, so first of which which is team defence. Um, so, so you are our chairman. So what does that mean, and, and how does that how do you get involved? Okay, so it's it's a, a role I take very seriously. Um, I've done the role now since two thousand and nine. So I'm at the de- a whole decade point. Um, there are uh, there are some um, some fiduciary responsibilities because it's run as a business. Uh, so I have to make sure that it's an ongoing concern. I have to make sure that the um, the way in which it is run conforms with the uh, the rules by which companies are run. Uh, so we have an annual general meeting, and we uh, we make sure that our accounts are audited, and we make sure that uh, we can uh, run the organisation according to its its purpose. Uh, so I take those responsibilities seriously. Uh, but the really important bit is that uh, as an active member in the defence businesses in the UK and working every day with my counterparts across the supply chain, with partners and indeed competitors, uh, I have formed a view uh, that in fact the strength of the defence enterprise in the UK uh, makes it possible for our armed forces to be successful, makes it possible for those in the defence and security industry to be successful. Uh, and therefore, by putting effort into the strength of the defence enterprise, it actually serves everybody and it serves my professional interests as well. Uh, and uh, there is no uh, other natural home for that enthusiasm, or no better natural home for it, than, than TDI, uh, where we have a confluence of interests uh, with like-minded companies coming together, uh, willfully uh, contributing to an enterprise-level solution, uh, which is a whole lot stronger than it would be if we were all doing our own thing. So I'm hugely energised by it, hugely enthusiastic about it, and lend my uh, my effort, my energy, my contacts, and cash in favours on behalf of TDI with uh, the customer team and with uh, suppliers and partners all around, because it is a very natural thing to do. Very good. So the membership of TDI is growing year on year, and certainly since I've been joining, it's been ever increasing. Um, what do you think is driving that increase? What, are the, what value do, do, do people see? Uh, well, the truth is that people don't spend the money and they don't put the time into something if they don't see the value. Uh, so as a first indicator, obviously companies are seeing the value in the, the membership. And if you scratch the surface of that, then quite simply through TDI, uh, they get a sense of what is going on, which they wouldn't get entirely from their own perspectives, from their own vantage points. Uh, they get a sense of participation. They get invited to contribute to the debate. We listen to their voices. Uh, and they, in that sense, uh, are able to enhance their business. And the relatively small membership fee, which is just a few thousand pounds, is easily offset by the strategic advantage that is gained by all the participants, large and small, uh, who get that sense of involvement, increased context, and participation in an enterprise that matters to us all. Very good. So you've been involved 10 years, that's quite a while. Um, what do you see as your biggest achievements or what, uh, from, from TDI's point of view? What have they achieved that you're most proud of? 
Um, well, they're not my achievements, it's the achievements of, of, of a team and yes, um, I have worked to convene that team but essentially it's the, the achievements of individuals. Well, first and foremost it is a recognition that industry has a voice. It is a recognition that by consulting with industry early on in the development of themes and ideas, the MOD can head off at the pass some things that might actually prove to be ridiculous through the eyes of the industry team and that rather than seeing the consequences of changes that are made to information systems, IT systems and data handling, seeing those consequences at a stage where the, um, the customer teams are interacting with individual project teams across industry, Typhoon, Dreadnought, uh, other programs, and seeing changes as a need for a contract change, they actually had that off at the pass by having early consultation, pre-positioning industry, getting advice and buy-in from the industry team. So when it comes to introducing a change, industry says, yep, we are anticipating that and we can accommodate it. So they would have saved themselves millions, probably hundreds of millions, by having that consultation in place. Nobody's actually been counting it, but in essence, that's what it's done. Um, if you were to actually string out all the things that uh, we have made possible, the one that I'm actually most enamoured by is the secure communications environment. Even just the simple act of being able to email the customer, knowing the email will get there, or to receive an email from the customer, knowing that there aren't others which are lost in the ether, uh, is a really, really important thing to make our enterprise work. Uh, the idea of creating shared data environments, the idea of making those secure, and the idea of therefore bringing industry into the support solutions for the complex products that exist is at the fundamental heart of the business plans of many of the companies in defence in the UK, in fact all of us in the UK. So actually we've done a whole lot to enable that and we should be proud of that work. Um, so TDI seems to be quite uh, unique across the world, I certainly haven't seen anything quite the same, so you see trade bodies but that don't work in the same sort of way we do. Do you think, um, do you think we are fairly unique and, and, and um, what challenges do you see TDI uh, facing to remain relevant and, and stay in its position? Um, the truth is I've not actually gone and looked to see whether we have any international counterparts. Uh, maybe I should, maybe I should be benchmarking how, the, how they run. Um, if, I, if I look at the challenges, uh, then quite simply uh, we are all being swamped with data. Lots of data has been gathered, generated, some of it has been marshaled, some of it is well looked after, some of it is usable, some of it can be turned into information. Uh, but in essence, uh, the challenge is to make sure we're on top of that, that the systems that we create, the culture that we create in our companies that respects that data and knows how to use it, the training we give to individuals, the way we bring people up through our organisations with an expectation of how they can use that is actually the major challenge for us. And although that will manifest itself in terms of discussion around various systems, discussion about how we interact with customers, the roles of the industry team, uh, the reality is that it's just that big data lake picture that, uh, uh, that is dominating the, uh, the world in which we live in. And through TDI, we can actually get our minds around that. The 130 companies networked together, the, the minds and the thought processes there give us a, um, a set of diverse vantage points which allow us to collectively solve that problem if we work well with the MOD. Okay, thank you very much for that, Nigel. So, moving on to you then. Uh, so, I know you're a, an engineer by trade. Um, it must be quite exciting being in the role you're in now. Oh, I, I'm, I'm 
I'm a very happy man in my role as the Chief Technology Officer of MBA Systems. And yes, uh, I started my career with an apprenticeship with Rolls-Royce, production engineering apprenticeship with Rolls-Royce, I did a mechanical engineering degree, uh, but then I convinced myself that I wanted to be an aeronautical engineer, so I applied to what was then British Aerospace, and I've had 34 years with uh, the, the company, which of course became MBA Systems in at the beginning of uh, the year 2000. Previous role prior to the, um, the year I've just had as CTO, uh, I ran the defence businesses of B Systems in the UK for nine years, and uh, for seven years prior to that, the uh, the military air component of the UK defence businesses. So I had one job change in 16 years, which is a, a pretty unusual track record. But it must be something to do with my uh, little white knuckles holding on to things. I just enjoyed the job so much. I uh, I didn't particularly want to move on. But when we had the new chief exec coming in, I did say to him that. I was happy to stay in the role, but I actually thought that there was a role that I really should focus on, which was to do with the medium and long-term value of the company. And I defined to him uh, a role which encompassed the strategy and planning activities, the, uh, the technology planning activities. We spent a lot of money on technology development in BA systems, uh, and also the functional responsibility for key delivery functions in the company around engineering, manufacturing, support, and IMT, which encompasses some 59,000 people in our operation worldwide. And I said that if we could sort the way that we work in each of those areas in a consistent way that is commensurate with how we see our future, then there was significant value in that role. And he kind of nail-gunned my feet to the floor as I was having the, the conversation. I've been on that square ever since. So I, yes, I'm very, very happy. And as a, uh, an enthusiasm, I have an enthusiasm for the technology uh, and I get, I get to play with it all day, which is just great fun. It is, in fact, a really serious business. We're placing bets on what is going to be important for the future. We're investing in all sorts of things which uh, will have a material effect on our ability to sustain our position in the market and, indeed, grow our position in the market. So BAE has fingers in many pies and many technologies. That must be quite a tough, tough thing to get your head around. Yeah, I, th I kind of thought I understood it, having spent so many years so close to it. But last year has shown me that it's a whole lot deeper and more intricate and, in many ways, more challenging than I'd ever understood. Uh, and uh, in a way, that's quite reassuring, because it's not a superficial issue. It's absolutely at the heart of the offering of, of BIA Systems. All of our offerings to the marketplace are underpinned by technological solutions, many of which are... Uh, so sophisticated and advanced that it would make your hair curl if I was to describe them. Uh, but we, um, the trick is to knit those together, bring them to market by integrating them into our solutions, land, sea, air, and cyber. Um, so BA itself as a company has a long distinguished history, um, many, many, many things to be proud of. When you sort of when you think about what the company you're working for, what makes you most proud if you look back in its history? Is this something that really gets you? Uh, Oh, well, again, um, actually you have to go back to the 1500s, uh, where the root of our company starts. Henry VIII started the, uh, the company uh, with uh, the need for an industry to support his new navy. Uh, he also uh, created the gunpowder factories, uh, which were government-owned, but in more recent times uh, became owned by industry, and uh, we can link our, our history right back uh, to that point. So you could argue that Henry VIII had a more impressive um, industrial policy than he did marital policy, uh, because it's, it's kind of lasted. In more recent times, then, you can look at some of the technological achievements. Um, I was particularly enamoured as a youngster by uh, the Harrier aircraft uh, and uh, the, um, 
predecessor engineers and organizations that we had in what has become BA Systems that generated solutions for that and also um, stolen the aircraft side, the, uh, the TSR-2 and then Tornado uh, aircraft, uh, able to travel at 800 miles an hour at sea level and get under enemy uh, radar. Just a, a phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal achievement. Uh, in my own time in the company, uh, then uh, I am particularly proud of uh, being involved uh, and leading the team that took Typhoon into service, uh, that generated the Tyrannus technology demonstrator, which is still the most advanced aircraft ever built and flown uh, in the UK. Um, I'm particularly proud of seeing the carrier enter into service, and I had uh, nine years uh, leading up to that in-service date when I was intimately involved on a daily basis with the, with the carrier program. Uh, so I'm, uh, I'm particularly proud to see that in the place it is. Uh, and more recently, uh, my involvement has been in the um, securing the contracts for Dreadnought and Type 26. Type 26 has gone on to have significant successes in the export market uh, with uh, success in Australia and then as a basis of the solution in Canada. And I think there will be more. Um, if I look at uh, other technologies and capabilities around the company, uh, there's not one area of the company which drags its feet. Uh, the land business, uh, we do some fantastic work with very advanced systems in our munitions manufacture, the small arms uh, munitions, just phenomenal. It's a digital manufacturing line. The investments that we made there, the digital inspection, uh, where eight bullets a second are coming off that line, we do a full digital inspection of the, each bullet using optical techniques as the bullets fall through a, a set of, uh, of uh, well-illuminated uh, situations and uh, cameras take pictures of them and uh, we, we measure what's coming off the line and automatically adjust the line uh, so that uh, what is coming off that line is within tolerance. I think that's pretty impressive, the manufacturing process and technique. And I look at some of the work we're doing on the advanced technologies, I look at what we're doing on additive layer manufacturing. Um, I blogged within our company that the most impressive thing at the, at the Farnborough Air Show last year uh, was actually in the BA system chalet as it happens. Uh, it was uh, displayed at floor level with no lighting on it and everybody walked past it and didn't recognize it for what it was and it was in fact a titanium frame for uh, an aircraft which had been manufactured through additive layer manufacturing and in a process which uh, we've never done uh, quicker than 14 months from the point where you finish the design for the frame to the point where it is um, it is manufactured and tested and the whole process of how the forgings are created, how the machining is carried out, and the inherent strength in the system that then results. Uh, that process typically takes over a year. Uh, anyway, we're, we are now able to go through that process with a new design in less than 100 hours, so a year becomes a week. And for the time to market challenges that we have, uh, for the flexibility that our customers expect of us, this is the sort of breakthrough stuff that we need to be doing. And that and many more examples of that exist within the company, and that's why I have a thousand volts going through me. <laughs> and so one of the things I wanted to move on to, so Western, uh, Western military budgets are getting squeezed, everybody knows that, um, and their, their development budgets are much smaller than someone, someone like Google or uh, you know, some of the Silicon Valley companies or SpaceX, the work they're doing as well. How does BA Systems and, and other defence companies leverage that investment uh, to, to bring it back into the defence market? Uh, it, it is interesting to note, I mean, we mentioned uh, Henry VIII, but if you actually look at the evolution of technology on the planet, 
there is an argument that says that uh, every technology you see around you, whether it's the plate glass and the, the, the windows that are made, made of in this office, or the aluminium frames that uh, they're, they're sitting in, or indeed the surfacing on the on the table that uh, we're sitting next to, all of the technology that we see around us today, including medical technology, certainly the comms technology, has been originated for, justified, and paid for uh, as a result of defence interests. And uh, there's actually quite an interesting book on that subject written by Professor Michael White called The Fruits of War, where he just takes everything that you've taken for granted and tells you where it came from. Even Florence Nightingale, the lady of the lamp, caring for the soldiers. Uh, his argument was actually she was sent over there because, over there, Crimea, because uh, the troops were dying in hospital rather than going back to the front line and carrying on fighting. And she was told, go over there and sort that out. And what she actually worked out was that uh, people were dying because of infection, and she couldn't see the infection, but there were things she could do uh, to do with sterilizing and disinfecting the environment, which meant the people survived rather than died, and they then go back to the front line. So there was actually a military justification for the um, the hygiene regimes we have in our hospitals today. So he, he plots it out very carefully. But uh, and it, in a way, it's quite reassuring if you're in defense, but it's quite disturbing if you think about the, the, the nature of, of, of humans on the planet. So we see a change where there are commercial and social drivers that are now driving certain aspects of technology, particularly with relation to computing, particularly with relation to communications. And in some ways that uh, presents new threats for defense because people are using those channels to attack nations' interests or companies' interests or individuals' interests. Uh, and uh, we equally can use some of those technologies to better defend our country's interests. So it does necessitate us to uh, either develop the same things ourselves, which would be inefficient, or to form relationships and partnerships. And if you look at it carefully, you'll find that the defence and security businesses worldwide are actually now forming partnerships and relationships with those who have developed commercial technology. Uh, some of them don't want to play. Some of them just don't want that association at all. And we've had some surprises along the way uh, where companies who have defence arms are getting rid of those defence interests because they think it plays badly with their commercial and, uh, and uh, mass population clients. So obviously BAE Systems for a long time has been focused on export as well as just UK markets and you have BAE Systems Inc and, and a lot of work in Saudi and places like that. Um, do you have um, sort of big international markets that you see as exciting opportunities, countries that you're looking forward to working with? Gosh, uh, BAE Systems has today um, significant markets and significant foothold in over 40 countries. I think we've sold to, um, to, to many more than that over the decades. Uh, but if you actually look at uh, where we principally operate today, um, we have uh, a number of places where we regard as, as, as our home territory. Um, we have a team in the US of some 30,000 people. We operate in almost 50 states, and we're a significant provider to the Pentagon and some of the, uh, the national agencies. Um, we That business is run by a, a US board uh, and is populated with US nationals, and we're treated essentially as a, as a, US, uh, a US company, US defense and security company. We have a special security arrangement in place which we stick to, which allows us to, to work in that way. Uh, so the US is very important for us. It's the world's biggest defense market, so I would, I would start with that. Saudi Arabia is massively important to us. We have 6,000 people there, the majority of which by far are now Saudi nationals, which is fantastic. Uh, Australia is a great market for us. Um, recent success there with the Hunter class on the C5000 program, 
providing frigates for the uh, the Royal Australian Navy, and uh, a team of three thousand people. They're quite significant in terms of the uh, the scale of the Australian defence market. Uh, India is important for us. Um, other countries in the in the Middle East, uh, we have um, burgeoning opportunities. I will say that the uh, collaboration we have with European countries is important for us today and will continue to be in the future as well. And I'm sure we'll look back at uh, all of the commentary in the, uh, the news at the moment around Brexit and say, well, thankfully, defence and security matters actually managed to transcend uh, the key issues there. There was a brief period where everybody held their breath in some negotiation around uh, the uh, certain programmes, but it settled down into something sensible because we or then recognised that the enemy wasn't um, in Europe or the, or the UK. It was actually uh, further afield and uh, something which was uh, threatening our, our, our joint interests. Um, so Tempest is obviously a very exciting programme for BA Systems and the, the UK as a whole. Um, what are the key enabling technologies you see in the Tempest programme that will make it a step above F-35? Yeah, the truth is it will operate alongside F-35. Uh, the whole survivability issue, just how survivable does the, the vehicle need to be, what technologies are involved in creating that level of survivability. Uh, the total systems approach that goes into that and the systems architecture that goes with that, that enables uh, the vehicle to be created in the first place but then adapted rapidly according to circumstances, a lot of thought is going to that. There's a lot of uh, thought and potential application in augmented reality and virtual reality, and if you were fortunate enough to sit in the cockpit of the uh, the Tempest mock-up at Farnborough, uh, you would have had the surprise that everybody had when they got into it, which is it was made entirely of black velvet, uh, which uh, isn't a sort of fetish taste. It was uh, simply to create a neutral surface because all the information that uh, the, the pilot needs is actually projected onto the visor of the, the helmet that they're wearing. And the, uh, the cockpit configuration is essentially created in virtual reality in front of them. And how they then use their hands to interact with that uh, allows them to configure the cockpit to look however they need to look at any particular time to perform their mission. So AR and VR uh, are really, really important part of this. Artificial intelligence underpins the, the system, its ability to gather lots of data, learn from it, and do something useful with that. And then to make the whole thing uh, affordable uh, and uh, get it to market rapidly, a huge investment and very meaningful stuff in terms of the digital factory and uh, the robotics that go into that and the cobotics with human beings and machines interacting to build these systems in a rapid way. So um, there's a lot of talk on, on unmanned vehicles now. Do, do you think Tempest could be the last manned frontline fighter that BA builds? That's Interesting point. I don't know. Uh, there is always the capacity to have human beings in the loop, uh, and whether they actually need to be physically present is a matter of taste for the, uh, the armed forces. Having the option to do that, I think, is quite important. There are some missions where a human eyeball uh, is trusted more than the sensors and systems that, uh, that we have today. That might not, all, not always be the case, uh, but um, there is no substitute for actually having somebody at the scene watching what is going on. If you look at the uh, autonomous systems that we develop today, typically they're used for dull, dirty and dangerous things. And um, all we need is for laser weapons to be used, even dazzle weapons to be used in the 
uh, in the in the battle space, or some area denial weapons which wipe out all living things, uh, and you will find that autonomous systems become um, increasingly important, and it will become increasingly difficult for uh, a Secretary of State for Defence to stand up in the House and defend the fact that he put human beings in harm's way when there was an alternative. So I think there will there will be a mix, uh, and I think that will exist for a long time. Uh, but uh, the extent to which that mix is used in various circumstances, I think, will present some surprises to us over the over the coming years. So another growing market segment that, that Team Defence are getting involved in, so we're supporting ADS Group and the Fabra International team to put on the Urban Air Mobility Summit this year, um, is Urban Air Mobility. So I know BA Systems have an involvement and, and they're sponsoring the Uber conference coming uh, coming up soon. Um, what do you see as the potential um, opportunities for BAE Systems in that sector? And then as a sector sort of more broadly, where do you see that going? As a systems integrator, um, there is a, a tremendous opportunity associated with the inevitable growth of air mobility and the urban air mobility feature. And uh, with the uh, skills we have in terms of autonomy, skills we have in terms of integrating complex systems, um, we have, I think, quite naturally been approached by those who wish to develop this as a key vector for economic growth in the UK. And at this stage, we are taking a, a long, hard look at what that would involve. Uh, we recognise that it's potentially a big market, we recognise potentially it's a discriminator for the UK economy, but we also recognise that we may have a role to play in making all of that work. So at this stage, uh, toe in the water is probably the best way of describing it. Okay, good. Thank you very much for your, uh, for your discussion. Well, thank, thank you for the opportunity. And uh, just going right back to the, uh, the very beginning, um, the, the role that I have played uh, NBA Systems has taught me that if you focus on the confluence of interests so that those who can be involved and have a contribution to make can actually make something of that uh, and uh, make the defence enterprise stronger, then we all win. And that is absolutely what I aim to take into the TDI context. Very good. Thank you very much. Thank you.